is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of June 19, 2023. We had some Jeopardy episodes this week. We had five of them. The typical, the mode. Yeah, the expected (laughs) number, the most common number. Mm hmm. Well, because I mean, you know, sometimes there are more. Right. I'd be hard pressed. Sometimes there are less. Are are there weeks when there are less, though? I mean, it depends on if you count reruns. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. If you you don't count reruns, I guess there are weeks where there are zero. All right. Well, this has been a weird and nerdy (laughs) intro. Uh, before we talk about Jeopardy, how are you doing, well, Kyle? I'm uh, doing fine. Weird and nerdy doesn't fit at all what we yeah, spend our no, time doing. Yeah, that's our vibe. Thank you to all the listeners who are looking for my car. It was recovered, so I appreciate Ooh. all of the diligent searching that you all did. Not a lot of damage, apparently, for certain models of vehicle. If you just uh, take some vice grips and pop out that ignition, the keyhole, you, just, uh, you can just stick a screwdriver in there and turn the car on. So... That seems like a design flaw. <laughs> that does seem like a design flaw, which is why there's a class action suit against Hyundai and Kia about their cars being too easy to steal. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. Which I am now a member of that class. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I get a little bit of reimbursement for that. Yeah. But car is found. I would say all is all is well, but we still need to have repairs done and we are going to have it professionally cleaned and detailed. Yeah, that's Be- smart. Yes. Because at the very least, will the dumb teenagers who went for a joyride also smoked a cigar inside and oh, that's charming. Like, put the ashes all over it. Like gross. Yeah. So like it was not pleasant to drive home, but at least it drove. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like insurance ought to pay for getting it detailed, but I suspect they don't. Do they pay for that? I don't know. I haven't asked that question yet. So mm-hmm. that, that's coming up. Either way, we're going to get it done, whether they pay for it or not. But hopefully, you know, you, yeah, absolutely get it done. Yeah, that's that's they, they ought to pay for it. I think but, they ought to. Yeah. Anyway, how are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, my kids have finally made it to their last day of school, which was yesterday. And, um, you know, end of, end of school year stuff. My my older one is had his elementary school graduation because in this town, the middle school is fifth through eighth. So he's going he's going to middle school. As, as kind of mind boggling. But they had they had a really cute little graduation ceremony. And the kids sang How Far I'll Go from Moana. Nice. And uh, This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. Greatest Showman. So, you know, Tired. some, some tearjerkers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've heard that song way too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, anyway, it, anyway. it's all over the place. It's um, a fine song, but like most things, you know, moderation in all things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Feel, feeling pretty good trying to get our summer plans together. Just chugging along. So, Jeopardy! Monday, June 19th, 2023. 
The contestants were Jonathan Belford, a television researcher originally from Garland, Texas, Mary Kate Gleet, a nonprofit director from Kansas City, Missouri, and Ben Goldstein, a content marketing strategist from Dexter, Michigan, whose one-day cash winnings total $6,198. And the Jeopardy round categories are It's a Special Day, TV, Five Letter Words with F in quotation marks, The Animal Kingdom, On the State's Longest Western Border, and Getting an Eyefall. The $800 level of the Animal Kingdom. Yep. We hate to let a season pass with no mention of Alex Trebek's favorite animal the 750 pound arctic ruminant with curved horns jonathan tried what is a narwhal which it's a bit off man (laughs) it does have a horn alex trebek's favorite animal was the musk ox it was the musk ox Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think the narwhal counts as a ruminant either yeah no could be wrong, but the $600 level of TV, I can't let a show pass where I don't mention Firefly before he starred on Castle and the rookie, he was Captain Mal Reynolds on Firefly. Mary mm-hmm. Kate got that. That's Nathan Fillion. Mm-hmm. Love me some Firefly. I love Firefly. Such a great show. And there are only like 11 episodes, so it's not like a huge commitment to watch it all. Mm-hmm. Which I realize is also a bad thing because it's like cut down in its prime. Yeah. But you can get fully caught up and then join us in being outraged. Yeah. You can do it in a day. Outraged. Yes. The wildly unjust cancellation of Firefly. This is definitely a a hill we should die on here. I mean, I don't know. We could get it back. Although I will say Joss Whedon has fallen in fallen from yeah. grace. So <laughs> perhaps trying to like trying to rile up the, the troops to get a, a Firefly reboot isn't a great idea. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it is it's disappointing about Joss Whedon. Some of the things really that came yeah. out were Yeah. Really. Well, because you were also gross. Buff, you're also a Buffy fan. I am, yes. Yeah, it's tough. Yep. It's tough. Mm-hmm. When our heroes are human. Mm-hmm. The $200 level of special of It's a Special Day was made a U.S. federal holiday in 2021. It's also known as Black Independence Day. That is Juneteenth. Mary-Kate got that, and that was also on Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is in five letter words, with the F in quotation marks. At the $1,000 level, it's pick number three, and Ben finds it. He's at 800 Mary-Kate's at 600 Jonathan's at negative 600 and he wagers all of his 800 and gets a clue. It's a genus of tree that can be grown as a houseplant, such as the fiddle leaf fig. Hmm. And he guesses what is a filial, but that is a ficus. Mm-hmm. Which, if there are any fans of Homestar Runner, there is a Halloween special <laughs> where Marzipan attempts to contact her dead ficus named Credenza. <laughs> That home star watered with you who while she was in Miami. How do I know this? <laughs> because I showed that to my kids once and they have asked for it a lot since. So we have watched it a lot in the last few I don't know if I ever saw I mean I thought I had watched everything on the Homestar Runner website, but I'm gonna uh, have to times, go back to that one. It's called Three Times Halloween Fun Job. Okay. I'm quite sure I've watched that one. I'm gonna have to rewatch that one. <laughs> Homestar, you're not a ficus. You're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) 
Very there good. are so many Homestar Runner things that have just like just taken up per, like permanent residence in my vocabulary, and nobody knows what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. When, <laughs> when, when, like when my kid comes downstairs wearing seasonally inappropriate clothing, and I'm like, he's a long pants man. <laughs> it's it's true. It's true. Yep. Usually he's a short pants man. Actually, it's usually that usually kids the season- tend to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually the seasonally inappropriate clothing goes the other way. But like he is a he's a grab whatever's at the top of the drawer and don't really think about it, man. Most of all, yeah. But so many, so many things from Homestar just just live in my head forever. Just, just hanging out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben is at four thousand, Mary Kate's at four hundred, and Jonathan's at twenty two hundred. And uh, we get the double Jeopardy categories. First, speeches in Shakespeare. Random facts. What an idiom. General assembly. Weights and measures. And let's make a movie crossover. Which, (laughs) so the first one was a crossover, except the title wasn't really a crossover. The, the, The $400 clue was a natural pair. A character who fought Ivan Drago and Clubber Long. Lang? Clever Lang. Clever Lang. Lang, yeah. Lang. And a moose who took on Jason Alexander's Boris Badenov. That's Rocky and Bullwinkle. Mm-hmm. Jonathan got it. Yeah. Although most of these crossovers, I really would watch the $800 level of Snow White and the Seven Samurai. I'd watch that. Absolutely. Yes. In a heartbeat. 1200 stay, You Stay Classy, Collie. A 2004 San Diego news anchorman and a 1984 Indiana Jones title structure. Ron Burgundy in the Temple of Doom. That would probably be much better than Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Mm. There are some people who love it. I don't think it's very good. Yeah. better, Still better than Crystal Skull, though. And then the $1,600 level. An Alan Rickman diehard villain wants those detonators from a title Great Dane of 2002. Hans Gruber and Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. I would watch that. I would watch that as a, a continual series. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Weren't for those meddling kids. Those meddling kids, which was an issue last week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ton of triple stumpers in this on this board. True. I thought it was a hard board overall, actually. I mean, you know, I was your mileage may vary, but I was playing along and got much lower than my average score. So I think, you know, I think that it was harder than typical questions as much as anything. Yeah, I mean yeah, there were certainly some that I had had no idea. How did first speeches in Shakespeare go for you? Poorly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did. Okay. I, I don't know. I did okay. I guess for me, like I felt mm-hmm. fine because I don't know Shakespeare all that well. Yeah. So like I got the, I got Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And I got King Lear, which mm-hmm. I was pretty proud of, but the others I wasn't sure of. Yeah. That's the same for me. I got, I got those two. And then the others I, I was not clear on, even though, even though I did a deep dive, on the Henry plays the eight hundred dollar level. Then should the warlike Harry, like himself, assume the port of Mars? Did not. I, I, it was enough for me to be like, well, it's one of the histories. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably one of the Henrys, but I couldn't narrow it down. It was Henry the fifth, and I'm not totally sure how, how you one, would know how you would know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So to me, to me, there were there were a bunch of you know, especially kind of deep cuts or, you know, challenging ones. Agreed. Yeah. 
And then right next to it in the random facts at the $800 level, the clue was Google's recent entry into the world of AI has this name just like a poet of yore. Ben got that. That's Bard. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the Bard. Yeah. And for speeches in Shakespeare is where we find daily double number two, pick number seven at the $1,200 level. Mary Kate finds it. She's at negative 800 with Ben at 4,800 and Jonathan at 2,200. She wagers the maximum, which is 1,000, and she gets the clue, take but good note, and you shall see in him the triple pillar of the world transformed into a strumpet's fool. And she tries Othello, but it's Antony and Cleopatra. And like, that's another, that's another one where like, I don't quite see where the toehold is. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I guess if you know that Cleopatra is the strumpet. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Yep. There it is. Yeah. It's you get, you have to do some digging there for sure. Yeah. And Daily Devil number three is in General Assembly at the $1,200 level. Pick number 27. Very late. Mary Kate finds it. She's at 600. Ben's at 8,400. Jonathan's at negative 600. She wagers 500. Gets the clue. In absentia, he was sentenced to death in 1940, weeks after a London radio speech in which he asked the French to keep fighting. She doesn't take a guess. That uh, was Charles de Gaulle. Mm Mm-hmm. Wants the French to keep fighting. So, you know, makes sense. Charles de Gaulle. Yep. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round... Ben is in a locked position with 10,000. Mary Kate is at 100 and Jonathan is in the red at negative 600. So he won't be playing in Final Jeopardy where the category is entertainers. And the clue is in 2022, Jeff Bezos awarded her $100 million to give to charitable causes because she gives with her heart. There's so much to unpack there. It's a really Uh, big heart. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Why devil? Like... Wasn't Dolly Parton already rich? Why is Jeff? Be- I don't like like. Maybe may- maybe it's less. What does he- Jeff Bezos give? Okay, with? M- maybe it's less. He gave her a hundred million dollars and really just said like, "Hey, Dolly, where should I donate a hundred million dollars?" Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I think that's more. I I hope that's more of it. Not just like Jeff Bezos was like Dolly Parton. I think you need a hundred million dollars. Yeah, which you know he might have, and then she probably would have been like, "No, I'm just going to give this to charity." Yeah. Yeah. Mary Kate tried who is Oprah. That's a that's a fine guess. Fine guess, um, yeah. Not correct. She wagered a hundred dollars in all all hundred, so she drops to zero. Ben tried who is Lady Gaga, which I also thought was kind of a fun guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and he wagered a thousand, he'll drop down to nine thousand, and of course he gets the win. And as we were alluding to, Dolly Parton is the correct response here. She received the Courage and Civility Award, which I guess came with these funds to give to charity. I got stuck. I was like, is it Mackenzie Scott? Is he just trying to like save face with his ex? Like Mm. I couldn't, I did not get to Dolly Parton at all. Yeah. She occurred to me, but I hadn't really sort of decided who I would write down by the time the music was ending. So... I also thought about Lady Gaga for a second. I don't know why. Anyway, so that brings us to Tuesday when we have the contestants, Janie Sullivan, a scrum master from Park Ridge, <laughs> Illinois, Tim Blanchard, a cryptocurrency and angel investor from Nashville, Tennessee, and Ben Goldstein, a content marketing strategist from Dexter, Michigan, whose two-day cash winnings total $15,198. Jeopardy round categories are let's stick together. Architects. Vowel, vowel, constant, consonant, nonprofits, 
American history and triple A rated food. Mm-hmm. Vowel, vowel, constant, consonant is very hard for me to come up with a word ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the clues are, they were Jeopardy round difficulty. They weren't that hard. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's hard for me to pick, to, to draw one that's like two vowels and then two consonants. Yes. No words are like that. <laughs> Who would ever yeah. write a word like that? Uh-huh. It's, it's, in, it's an incorrect format. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not how words work. Mm-hmm. Fool. It was, yeah, similar for me. But we had, you know, two rank, it's two ranks below Duke, and they're not making many new ones these days. That's an Earl. Janie got that one. Da da in poetry. <laughs> Janie got that one as well. It's an I am. I am B. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben got the $200 level. Sow sound is oink. At the $1,000 level of American history, a golden spike ceremony on May 10th. 1869, near this Utah point, marked the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad. Tim guessed what is Promontory Point, which unfortunately switched up the location of the N. It is Promontory. Mm-hmm. Turned into a triple stumper. I've talked about Promontory Point. Yeah. I think, I think it was in a quiz. Yeah, I think that's right. And Promontory Point and Promontory are two different places in Utah, and I think Promontory huh. Point isn't actually where it is. I don't remember. There's something weird about it. Okay. But the Golden Spike is in a, like a different place than Promontory Point or something like that. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. $600 level of oh, AAA yeah. rated food is, is from Turkish. It's the name of a sweet nutty pastry. It's baklava. I mean, I'm, I have nothing to say about that except baklava is amazing. Oh, uh, yes, it is. It's so good. It's yeah, so it's good. great. I had a student who worked at a Greek restaurant, and so uh-huh. she would sometimes bring me baklava from the restaurant. Uh-huh. It was amazing. Except that it was a terrible place for her to work, so I was always like, "You should really, you should really quit." (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Daily double number one is in architects at the eight hundred dollar level. Janie finds it. It's pick number twenty-eight. She's at forty-four hundred with Ben at sixty-two hundred and Tim at zero. She wagers fifteen hundred, so we're heading into odd numbers. And she gets the clue. In the 1690s, he began designing the twin-domed Royal Hospital for seamen in London. She says, who is Newberry? I have no idea. Sir Christopher Wren is who Mm -hmm. we were looking for here. There may be London architect questions that aren't Christopher Wren. But there aren't. But probably not on Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round... Ben is at 5,600. Tim is at negative 1,000. Janie's at 3,500. And the double Jeopardy categories are Let's Stick Together, Chapter and Verse, Love Island, UK, That Musical Act is Unreal, There Will Be Math, and Just Say, and they did not clarify what was going on with this category. But they all end, they're all two-letter words that end in O. Yeah, they all rhyme with no. Yeah. Sort of. Does I-O rhyme with no? I don't know, does it? My kids would say it does. So I'll, yeah. I'll say yeah. 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 I think it got muddled a little bit in part because of the $1,600 level was the one they went to first. Buddha found shade and more under the tree known as this. And that is the Bodhi tree, but also known as the bow, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I.O. 
was the second one they found. And then we'll get to the Daily Double in a little bit. But Daily Double number three was next. And I think the theme was not clear at that point. Maybe. Sorry, Daily, Daily Double number two was the third one that they that they uncovered from this category. And I think that yeah. I think the theme wasn't clear. Yep. Yep. The $1,200 clue of that musical act is unreal. Not just the house band on this show. Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem did Can You Picture That in a 1979 film. That's the Muppet Show. Ben got it. We recently had a Muppet Show question on Learned League as well. Yes, we did. About the theme song. Uh-huh. Which um, I did not remember. I got it wrong by one word. Oh, man. Yeah, I I I know that song really really well, but somehow in my in my head it was we'll have to watch the show instead of to have to, to have watch, to watch the show. I think that there's a new like show like a like an Electric Mayhem show uh, streaming on Disney Plus. Ooh, which I think maybe has the Muppets a little bit more kind of come like they're they're coming up more maybe in trivia as there because there's new Muppet content that's you know are floating around. <laughs> floating, um, around. floating around. <laughs> yeah. The Muppets Mayhem is a comedy musical series based on the Muppet musical group Doctor Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Released in May. And it has ten episodes. So I don't know. Maybe I'll check it out. I'll definitely check it out. We had a, In That Musical Act is Unreal at the $2,000 level. Later in movie, Roddy Doyle's first novel is about this soulful but imaginary Irish band. Ben tried Who Are the Replacements? And Tim tried What is Spinal, Spinal Tap? Tap? But they were looking for the commitments. We all were expecting Spinal Tap to come up. And so then at the $400 level, which we got to a few clues later, as David St. Hubbins of this band, Michael McKean sang, Big Bottom Drive Me Out of My Mind. How Can I Leave This Behind? <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for Spinal Tap. Janie got oh. that one. <laughs> so good. And that thing you do at the $800 level. Uh, have you seen that thing you do? I have seen that thing you do okay. probably 30 times. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't remember. I love I, that movie. I've had this conversation with a few different people, and someone I know has never seen that thing you do. Okay, well, like, they, they need to see it immediately. They need to. It's so good. It's so good. It's a great movie. And the song is really catchy. It is. It's, it's a good I, song. I still play it regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other music, like, you don't hear their other songs much, but, like, at, at some point on their tour, you hear a different song, and it's also good. Mm-hmm. The music in that in that movie is just so good. Adam Schlesin- Schlesinger. I feel like I know other things about him. Oh, Yeah. He's he was the Fountains of Wayne guy, and he wrote songs for Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which oh. which my sister is a huge, huge, huge fan of. Cool, yeah. Daily Double Number Two is back in that Just Say category at the twelve hundred dollar level. Pick number nineteen. Tim finds it. He is at negative three thousand. Ben is at six thousand. Janie is at ninety one hundred. He keep you know to his credit, he keeps trying. Yep. And he'll make some back and then drop some. And, and, and yeah, it's just rough. He gets the clue. It's headwaters are near Monteviso in the Alps. And he guesses, what is the Rhine? Again, we're not sure that the, the theme was really clear, but that is the Poe. Mm-hmm. So he loses another 2,000. Yeah. And 
then daily double number three is pick number 22 at the $1,600 level of Love Island, UK. Janie finds this one. She's at 9500 with Ben at 6000 and Tim at negative 4200 at this point. She wagers 2000 and she gets the clue, Bly Me. In 1970, the British High Commissioner in New Zealand became governor of this very small volcanic island in the South Pacific. She tries what is Samoa, but they're looking for Pitcairn. Yeah, Captain She drops Bly. down a bit. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, this is a rough game. Especially for Tim, especially Ben's at sixty eight hundred. Tim is at negative thirty eight hundred, and Janie is at seventy five hundred. We get the final Jeopardy category of the Olympics, and the clue: This sport that made its Olympic debut in nineteen eighty eight has a playing surface of only about forty five square feet. Ben guessed what is handball. That was where I was leaning toward. That's incorrect. Mm-hmm. He wagered only seven hundred five. Janie wrote. What is squash? Cross that off and then went with sumo wrestling, which I think is also a good guess, given the size. Like, a sumo ring isn't very big. But that's also incorrect. And she wagered 7,000, which is a cover bet. And so she drops to 500. The correct answer is table tennis. Mm-hmm. I did, I did think of table tennis. I wasn't confident, but that would have been my guess. So I wouldn't, like, I when I see playing surface... I would think that the floor doesn't count, but I guess the players are on the floor and they only have a certain amount of space. It's the, I think the table is nine feet by five feet, right? So that's 45 square feet. So I think that is just the surface of the uh, table. Nine feet by five feet. Yeah, I guess. They are mm-hmm. bigger than I... I always picture them smaller. Yeah. But table tennis tables are actually pretty big. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. So that brings us to Wednesday. The contestants are Lee Papa, professor from Bloomfield, New Jersey, Nabila Rahman, a cooperative education coordinator from Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, and Ben Goldstein, a content marketing strategist from Dexter, Michigan, whose three-day cash winnings total $21,293. And the Jeopardy round categories are Collect Them All, Ologies, Misheard Lyrics, Official Nicknames, Nevada, and the Silver State, with silver in quotation marks. And we also had a Learned League question about the $200 level of collect them all, or, you know, connected. Mm -hmm. In a significant markup, an 1856 British Guyana one-cent magenta, this went for $8.3 million in 2021. That's a postage stamp. We had a a philately question on Learned League this past week. And uh, you can find my postage stamp deep dive in the back catalog also. You can. Okay, the $600 level of Silver State. I got to think that this is another instance of the Jeopardy writers just making something up. A a cosmic hero of the comics. Okay, this name can also refer to a senior citizen who regularly uses the internet. A Silver Surfer. I don't... Are you now Googling Silver Surfer? Yeah. (laughs) Is this a thing people say? It 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 has a Wikipedia page. A very small Wikipedia page. Well, sure, so that old people can read it and don't have Silver, to scroll. Silver Surfer refers to the population of individuals over the age of 50 who utilize the internet on a consistent basis. Over 50? 50. <laughs> That's Gen X. What are you talking about? I know, I know. <laughs> Ugh. Uh-huh. It's absurd. It's stupid. I refuse uh-huh. to accept it. It is not uh-huh. true in my world. Yeah. Anyway, silver surfers seem, thing. seem to be a thing. 
I guess. Yeah. All right, moving on. Daily Double number one. I still don't like it. Is in the official nicknames category at the $800 level. Pick number 20. Dan finds it. He's at 1,000. Ben's at 2,400. Andrea's at 3,200. He wagers 1,000. Gets a clue. For 2020, the centennial year of American women getting to vote, Philadelphia got this altered nickname. And he gets it correct with what is the city of sisterly love. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben has taken the lead. He's at 7,400. Nabila is at 3,400. And Lee is at 1,600. Double Jeopardy categories are the plot thickens, alliteration, history is elemental, celebs, discovery and invention, and shoegazing. Mm-hmm. $400 level of history is elemental. The Tin Lizzie was a nickname for this revolutionary car made from 1908 to 1927. Lee got it. It's the Model T. We talked about that a while back. We did talk about that a while back. Yeah. A while back now. Man. Yeah. Time just keeps ticking. It does. And right below that, in 1962, John Glenn commanded Friendship 7 in a historic flight that was part of this program. That was the Mercury program. You covered the Mercury program, right? In a little your, bit. I, d- little I, did bit. The, I did the Apollo program, right? Because yeah. that was the moon missions. Right. Um, but yes. to get to the Apollo program, you had you, to have the Mercury program. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we talked about John Glenn recently because mm-hmm. he was a final Jeopardy. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The $2,000 level of history is elemental. Otto von Bismarck's manner of rule led to him getting this nickname that includes an element and a title. That's a triple stumper. That's the Iron Chancellor. I don't know if it's because of, like, because of this question or something, but I recently saw some, some, I guess it's a meme. I was like, here are four pictures of... I don't know, Emma Watson, that will make you say, wait, that's not Emma Watson. That's <laughs> Iron Chancellor Otto von Bismarck of 19th century Germany. <laughs> and it's just four pictures of Bismarck. It's <laughs> great. It's very much in my wheelhouse. Yeah. That, that meme. It's very much that. <laughs> my algorithm working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Daily Double number two is in the plot thickens at the $1,600 level. Lee finds it. It's pick number three. He's at $1,600 with Ben at $7,400 and Nabila at $2,200. He wagers 1000 and gets the clue. A group of Trojan refugees reach Latium at the mouth of the Tiber River. And he tries what is the Trojan women, but they're lo- we're looking for the Aeneid here. So he drops mm. down some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Daily Double number three is in the alliteration category at the $1,200 level. Pick number seven in the round, and Ben finds it. He is at 8,600. Nabila is at 2,200. Lee is at 600. And we and he wagers 1,400, which I guess is to just get it to a nice 10,000. Gets a clue. In 2022, getting a chance to see Taylor Swift in concert was the definition of this challenging phrase. Ben has no idea. I guess what they're looking for is a tough ticket. Yeah. I don't know that I have heard that phrase before. Yeah. I came up with it, but I'm not sure it's like a common idiom. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. When I Google tough ticket, I get a bunch of like rage farming stories about how this was a bad clue. But, you know, from rage farms, not from like 
places I would expect to have like, you know, thoughtful and yeah. incisive Jeopardy critique. Yeah. But when I Google tough ticket, I get outrage about Jeopardy. I don't get, you know, <laughs> lots of instances of tough ticket sort of coming up. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think this was, I don't think that's an especially common phrase. Right. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Ben is in a lock position with 15,200. Nabila is at 6,200. Lee at 4,600. The final Jeopardy category is World of Water. And the clue is the Bass Strait divides Tasmania and mainland Australia. And hydrographers have disputed which of these two larger bodies it's part of. Lee tried what are the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. That is not correct. He wagered 1401, so he'll drop down to 3199. Nabila got it correct with what are the Pacific and Indian Oceans and a $6,000 wager, which brings her up to 12200 And Ben got it correct as well. What are the Indian and Pacific Oceans with an $800 wager, which brings him to a nice round 16000 and gives him his fourth win. Yes. So that takes us to Thursday. We have the contestants, Andrea Rednick. Granados, a community organizer and stay-at-home daughter from Dallas, Texas, hmm. which I, I believe, I think she commented on social media that her mom lives with her, but she just appreciates making that joke. Mm-hmm. Dan Muse, a university lecturer from Cranston, Rhode Island, and Ben Goldstein, a content marketing strategist from Dexter, Michigan, whose 40 cash winnings total $37,293. The Jeopardy round categories are state emblems, Movie title connections, 20th century happenings, med abbreve, medical abbreviations, chain in quotation marks, and of fuels. Finally, we learn about the $600 level of fuels. This number measures a fuel's ability to resist knocking in an internal combustion engine. That's octane. What does octane really mean? Nobody knows. But apparently it helps a fuel resist knocking. I don't really know what knocking means in this context, but I don't either. And I smile and nod. Yeah. I know that the higher the number, the more expensive it is. Yes. And that apparently there are places in the country where you don't even, you can't even get 85 octane, but here in Colorado we can. Hmm. I just get whichever one is least expensive. I don't. And you're doing it right. Movie title connections, I'm pretty sure we've had the $400 clue, super blank mile. I'm pretty sure that's been on Jeopardy before, like that exact clue. Yeah, it would be hard to look up, right? Yeah, I guess. Also, Charlie Wilson's War and War. I feel, I, I'm, I feel like these are recycled. <laughs> yeah. Not that Jeopardy doesn't recycle clues. Like we know that mm-hmm. they do. We talk about it all the time. But Right. Usually they change the wording up very slightly. Yeah. I seem to recall those like specifically, like they're they're coming to mind that way. Mm-hmm. Tim had already lost his game by the time we got to this game, but the eight hundred dollar level of chain. This dot com calls itself the world's leading crypto finance house. That is blockchain. Andrew got it, but I was like, oh, there was just a crypto guy on <laughs> the other day, but didn't didn't line up. Nope. Daily Double number one is in state emblems at the $1,000 level. Dan finds it. It's pick number 11. He is at 1,000 with Ben at 2,400 and Andrea at 3,200. 
He wagers a thousand and he gets the clue. Illinois has a state microbe to honor Peoria's 1940s role in first mass producing this antibiotic. And he gets it correct. It is penicillin. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben is at 8,000. Dan is at 6,800. Andrea is at 3,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are going Dutch, 12 letter words, writing on the walls, trumpet tootin', Let's tee up the map with T in quotation marks and vampire Paris. Finally, a Paris that I can be like, okay, yep. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of a portmanteau, vampire Paris. Like, I can get that. Yeah. Also, vampires are awesome. Yes. The $400 level was a triple stumper to my dismay. Priscilla <sighs> was one of the vampire antagonists on this TV series that debuted in 1997. That's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nobody tried it. Mm. Six hundred dollars yeah. or the eight hundred dollar was also a triple stumper. You're dead by sixties folk singer Norma Tanika is used as a theme song to this FX series. Andrea guessed what is True Blood? No, that's an HBO series and also not a comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say comedy, but yeah, that's what we do in the shadows. And I have talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's still still on my list. Shows it, it, to you know, it's okay. Watch. Yeah, it is a good one when the kids mm-hmm. are in bed. Yep. Also, a Go. triple stumper: the twelve hundred dollar level of writing on the walls in his book Stardust. There is a Hamlet named Wall, and Tristan sets out on a journey through the only hole in that wall. That's Neil Gaiman. They didn't. They didn't know Stardust. That's okay. Neil Gaiman has written a lot of things, yes. but Stardust. Stardust is very fun. Very very enjoyable. I did well in the trumpet tootin' category. Oh, good. I knew a couple. I knew the four hundred and eight hundred dollar level. Nice. So, but you're a music teacher, so that's did, true. Did you know all of them? I did. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. I I have had my students watch the Quincy Jones documentary every year because he is one of the most important figures in American music, mm-hmm. and should be known better than he is. At least by like the common people. Yeah. Anyway, Daily Double number two is in 12 letter words at the $1,600 level. Pick number nine. Andrea finds this one. She's at 6,400. Ben's at 12,000. Dan's at 6,800. She 3,000. Gets a clue. An unlucky incident in British law. It's a verdict of accidental death, not due to crime or negligence. And she guesses what is manslaughter, which I think is a fine guess, but it is misadventure. Mm -hmm. Misadventure. I've, misadventure sounds so much more lighthearted than a person literally died. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, they had a misadventure. That's like, oh, I, I went out and I forgot my raincoat on a rainy day. What a misadventure I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I died. <laughs> mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in writing on the walls at the $1,600 level. Andrea finds it. It's pick number 18. She's at 4,200 with Ben at 12,400 and Dan at 7,200. She wagers 2,500 and she gets the clue. Alistair Moffat's nonfiction book on this structure is called Rome's Greatest Frontier. Uh, She can't come up with anything. It is Hadrian's Wall. Yes. And I think I talked about this or you did someone. There's another wall further on though. Yeah. It's the Antonine Wall. Yes. And it's at the Firth of Forth. And it's much farther north than Hadrian's Wall. 
Did this come up when we were talking? When- I think it well, you tied it in in a quiz. I think um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember though. That was a while ago, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. At the end of the double jeopardy round, Ben is up to 15,200. Dan's at 1200. Andrea is at 4,500. Final Jeopardy category is the 19th century, and the clue is, in 1823, he wrote, In the war between those new governments and Spain, we declared our neutrality. Andrea got it correct. With who is Monroe? Mm-hmm. The Monroe uh, Doctrine. The, Doc- the Monroe Doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine. yeah. <laughs> the Monroe Doctrine. <laughs> she wagered 3,001. Dan wrote, who is Marshall? That is incorrect. Wagered nothing. And... Ben wrote, who is Madison? That was incorrect. Wagered 31.95. Which just simply has to be a wager to stay above Dan if he bets nothing. Yeah. Because that that gets you to what? 18.395? Yeah. Which is is nothing compared to the other scores. If Dan's going to try and stay above Andrea's... Well, no. If he's going to try and stay above Andrea's double up, he'll wager not more than 3,000, which takes him to 15,000, which is still below Ben. Okay, never mind. Yeah. That's irrelevant. It, it's, it's a wild wager that ends up being right. Yeah. And like, man, Ben ha- has probably the most outrageous path to the Tournament of Champions of any. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we were talking about the, the previous mm-hmm. uh, Suresh, right? Yeah. Suresh had a whole bunch of wins from second place. Mm-hmm. Ben has had some wild games. <laughs> he has. He's had. A, he's had some lock games. Although with in at least one case with a super low score. He yeah. This is his fifth win. His total winnings at this point is forty nine thousand two hundred ninety eight. So yeah. like averaging less than ten k a game. That's um, insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. But I mean. But he's going to the tournament and a he win will is have, a win. <laughs> a win is a win. And he will have that time to prepare. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at like, you know, the season 36, 37 champion, Sam Cavanaugh. Mm-hmm. He, he was a five game winner, right? Like, he, uh, he, yeah, he, he wasn't one of the he wasn't one yeah, of the he big, wasn't a super champion. I think wasn't, wasn't one of the really top, you know, like seeds going in. But he mm-hmm. took that time and he, he put in the work. Yeah. And that brings us to Friday. And the contestants on Friday are Ron Nerwissa, an editor originally from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Donna Maturi, a librarian from Columbus, Ohio, and Ben Goldstein, a content marketing strategist from Dexter, Michigan, whose five-day cash winnings total 49298 And the Jeopardy round categories are, remember, baseball, books and authors, animal change a letter, each response will be two animals, who reigned in England when... I learned it on Schoolhouse Rock and kids of the 70s rejoice. Well, it's great to learn because knowledge is power. Is that a Schoolhouse Rock line? That's the, yeah. Yeah. That's the, like the theme song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did love some Schoolhouse Rock though. I did too. Although I will say like, I don't, I don't know how truly effective they were. I mean, I realize I'm, decades out from elementary school but i remember how the songs went 
I don't necessarily remember all the words. Like I remember the tunes. I remember some of the catchier parts, I'm just but a I bill. do, I, I remember I'm just a bill. I do not remember any of the content of that song. Right. So I don't you remember, remember the teaching tune me anything. of I'm just a bill, but you don't remember how a bill is signed into law. Right. Exactly. Like, like, yeah, I, like I know that information <laughs> and maybe I learned it through that song. Maybe I learned it some other way. Yeah. But, like prepositions. Yes. I remember that song, Conjunction Junction. I remember that song. But What's I, your function? Right. But and like, did I learn what? what a conjunction was from that? I don't. I don't know that I did. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not to poo poo on Schoolhouse Rock, though. Yeah. I think. I think you're right. I don't think I was learning a lot of content from that. I was maybe like learning like this is a thing a person should know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. So that later when I when I encountered that content in other ways, it was already kind of flagged as like, you know, part of your education is to know conjunctions and how a bill is how a bill becomes a law, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't I don't think that I I don't think I gleaned a whole lot from the songs themselves now that I now that you mention it. Animal change a letter. The first one that they called was the $400 level. A gruff quadruped of fable switches a letter becoming an insect pest. I immediately thought of goat and then could not figure out what the second animal was supposed to be. And it's not. Yeah. I mean, you you wouldn't think (laughs) to change the O in goat. To something that makes it a silent G, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I, that that to me was by far the hardest of these. You know, mm. The thousand dollar level change the vowel in the name of a smelly mammal and you get a slithery lizard. Easy peasy. That is skunk and skink. But right. goat, goat and gnat. I mean, two very different. I would words. have needed a pencil and paper to figure that one out. I think. Yeah, yeah. The the ruling England or reigned England when category was not great. They got they only got two of them. Mm-hmm. They should have listened to my deep dive. Although, I mean, I thought when Alaska was admitted to the Union, the $400 clue, I thought that one was kind of gettable. Yeah. Ben guessed who was Victoria. Maybe he was thinking when Alaska was purchased. Because yeah. that was Victoria. But it was Elizabeth II because Alaska is the 49th state. Mm-hmm. Which was in the 20th century, the 50s. Yeah. And then they missed the one with the Boer War. That was the time for Victoria. Right. Should have listened to your should listen both, to both of those both of your dives. deep dives. <laughs> and daily double number one is down at the bottom of that category. Pick number seventeen. Ron uncovers it. He is at forty two hundred. Ben is at twenty eight hundred. Don is at twelve hundred. He wagers twenty eight hundred. I gets a clue. Michelangelo finished painting the Sistine Chapel after four years. Contractors, am I right? He. I don't think has a way to kind of place this in, in a specific year. So he guesses who is James II. This is Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Henry VIII. Yep. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Ben is at 5,000. Don is at 2,600. Ron is down at 2,400. He has he has had a, a bit of a drop since the, since the Daily Devil. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, African-American firsts. Quizzical with two Zs in quotation marks. On Broadway, a chemistry test, musical act etymology, and same first and last letter geography. I have said before that there are only a couple of choreographers that you need to know mm. uh, to get every Jeopardy Broadway choreography question. And the, the, the top 
pick is there at the $1,200 level of On Broadway. In 2023, this choreographer's show, Dancing, returned to Broadway in all its finger and hip wiggling glory. And that is Bob Fosse. Ron got yep. that one. Yep. Bob Fosse. Jerome Robbins is the other um, mm-hmm. Broadway choreographer who comes up fairly regularly on Jeopardy. Yeah. I'm not sure if really any other musical theater choreographers are considered kind of common knowledge enough to be on there. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. The $800 oh, yeah? clue of quizzical on January 27, 1958, this family steakhouse opened in Culver city, California with $50 in the cash register. Little, little shout out to Culver city there for jeopardy. And that's sizzler. Ben got it. Are there sizzlers around still? I don't I feel, know. I mean, I remember sizzler being a thing in the nineties. Yeah. I think there's one remaining. No, no. I'm thinking of something else. Blockbuster. <laughs> I don't think I'm thinking of in it's 2020 sizzler yes. USA filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy. I mean, their website is still, I mean, I can Eight, order 84 locations in the well, U S there we go. Yeah. I remember there there was one location that was like accessible to me as a kid. It was like between my house and my grandparents' house. So when my grandparents came and picked me up, we would stop at Sizzler on the way back to their house. And it nice. was the only restaurant I knew of that had a kid's buffet as part of the salad bar, right? It was like this lower buffet table with like mac and cheese and like jello jigglers. It mm-hmm. was so cool. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> I think I went once. I just remember <laughs> that it was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like the locations are all west of me, except for like a bunch of them in Puerto Rico. Hmm. <laughs> so there we go. Now we I know. won't be going to Sizzler anytime soon, but also probably you can no longer impress me with a knee high buffet table of jello jigglers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Actually, maybe you can. Maybe you could. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in musical act etymology, which that category did not go well for me. It's at the $1,600 level. Ben finds it. He's at $8,600 with Donna at $4,200 and Ron at $3,600. He wagers $1,600 and he gets the clue. Karen O said this name of her band comes from a New York City reaction to everything. And he gets it right and says it with a little panache. What are the yeah, yeah, yeahs? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is over in same first and last letter geography. Also at the $1,600 level, pick number 14, Ron finds this one. He's at 4,800. Ben is up at 12,200. Don is at 5,000. He wagers 3,000. Gets a clue. It flows over 1,300 miles from highlands near Brazil across Venezuela to the Atlantic. And he gets it correct with what is the Orinoco. Yep. And so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Ben is in the lead with 16,200. Ron's at 13,800. Don is at 11,400. So it's really anyone's game as we get the final Jeopardy category, female authors and the clue at age nine in 1883, she moved West where she met Annie Pavelka, a young pioneer on whom she would later model a title character. Donna got it correct with who is Willa Cather. So 
Annie Pavelka was the inspiration for the title character of My Antonia. And Donna has wagered 6,000, which brings her up to 17,400. Ron tried Who is L.M. Montgomery? Around the right time period, I think. Good female author name to know. Ellen yeah. Montgomery, though, not 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 moving west, right? She's no. heavily associated with Prince Edward Island. Yep. He may also have noticed Annie, the name Annie here, and thought yeah. a man of Green Gables. Certainly, um, yeah. yeah. He's wagered 13,800 everything he has, so that drops him to zero. And Ben tried who is Alcott. I don't think that's quite the right time period for her, right? Mm, a little bit late, I think. Uh, yeah, because but... yeah, she was like alive during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know a few things about Louisa May Alcott and Little Women, you should know like the dad's away at the Civil War and that it's semi-autobiographical, right? Um, uh-huh. But, you know, I don't know, 19th century female author, you know, reasonable guess. She's also heavily associated with Massachusetts, you know, not really right. a Western pioneer stuff. He's wagered 11500 That drops him down to 4700 And so Donna comes from third place with the only correct answer in Final Jeopardy to win the game. Yeah. And so Ben finishes his run and he he has five wins. He's on the list for the Tournament of Champions. That's right. So this is the point in the middle of the episode when we take a moment to remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And the income from that helps us to not lose money when we make this podcast. And so if you if you enjoy the podcast and you've got a couple of bucks a month to spare to help us with with this labor of love, we would greatly appreciate it. And we greatly appreciate all of you who are supporting us. We do have a little bit of exclusive content on there. We try yeah. and put the quiz questions on right after we record so that Patreon supporters can see those while we're getting the episodes edited and, and posted. We're not 100%. But, you know, we try, try, try and try and give you a little bit of something beyond the joy of knowing that you're supporting us and helping us keep doing what we do. There are other organizations that it is much more important that they keep doing what they do. So we don't like to ask for money without acknowledging that. And we've put a few of our favorites in the show notes. Yep. Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? Yeah. Are you talking about Neil Gaiman? I thought about it, but No. Are you talking about the Iron Chancellor Otto von Bismarck? No. No, I'm not. <laughs> Are you talking about Hadrian's Wall? Mm, reasonable guess, but no. You were you were in kind of the right ballpark with Neil Gaiman because I'm talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That makes sense. You find you have your chance. You you finally got the opportunity. So yeah, the the $400 level of Vampire Paris in the Double Jeopardy round of the Thursday game, Drusilla was one of the vampire antagonists on this TV series that debuted in 1997. That's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nobody took a guess at it. And it's been a long time since I watched a lot of Buffy, but I was a very big Buffy fan for a while. And so I was like, you know what? Let's talk about Buffy for a minute. And that way, you know, people who are trivia people, but not Buffy fans, I'll give you a little overview of some some the show and some you know some keywords and whatever to know and we'll learn a little bit about Buffy. <laughs> yeah. I mean it I, does come up on Jeopardy a lot. It does. It comes up a lot because there's clearly clearly there are some some Buffy fans in the writers room, I would mm-hmm. I think. Um at least one. Yeah. 
So Buffy the Vampire Slayer was created by writer and director Joss Whedon. Something that comes up a lot in trivia settings is that there is a 1992 film of the same name, and it's a little complicated with that. So Joss Whedon wrote the film and sold it to Dolly Parton's production company, Sand Dollar, actually, uh, Mm -hmm. in the fall of 1991. And the film came out in 1992, starring Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland, Paul Roy. Rubens, Luke Perry, Hilary Swank, David Arquette. Whedon was involved in the film in an advisory role early in the production, but became dissatisfied with the direction the film was taking. Executives at 20th Century Fox removed many of Whedon's jokes. They thought his humor was too abstract. They didn't like the darker elements in the original script and wanted to make it more of a light comedy. And ultimately, creative differences led to Whedon walking off the set. And then five years later, as a separate and unrelated production, except for the name, he took the same concept and created the TV series titled Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He wanted to take the formula of, quote, the little blonde girl who goes into a dark alley and gets killed in every horror movie and subvert that idea and create someone who kind of fit that stereotype, but was the the hero and the protagonist. The very beginning of the series, there's a little bit of kind of reference to the film as they kind of figure out what the, you know, what the relationship is going to be. But ultimately, the TV series really has very little connection with the film. And they they let go of, you know, trying to kind of connect the narrative arc pretty early on. So Buffy ran for seven seasons, premiered in 1997. And the finale was in 2003. Joss Whedon was credited as executive producer throughout the run. And for the first five seasons, he was also the showrunner, supervising writing and all aspects of production. Marty Noxon, who had already been, you know, working on the show, took on the role of showrunner for seasons six and seven. It premiered on March 10th, 1997 on the WB. It concluded on May 20th, 2003 on UPN. So it changed networks midstream after after season five. So the last two seasons, six and seven with Marty Noxon were on UPN. And the series follows Buffy Summers, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, who is the latest in a line of young women known as vampire slayers or simply slayers in the like mythology of the show. Other major characters and actors to know, Allison Hannigan plays Willow Rosenberg. Nicholas Brendan plays Xander Harris. Anthony Stewart Head plays Rupert Giles. David Boreanaz plays Angel. Charisma Carpenter plays Cordelia Chase. Those were like the like the main characters in season one. There are like over the course of the series, like dozens of recurring characters who come up. We're not going to cover all of them, but those actors and character names are are especially worth knowing. When they were casting the show, Katie Holmes and Selma Blair were in the running for the role of Buffy. And Natasha Lyonne, who, hmm. you know, maybe from like Orange is the New Black and like yeah. other stuff, was offered the role of Buffy, but declined it because she didn't want to commit to a series at the age of 16. The show is set in the fictional California town of Sunnydale, whose suburban Sunnydale High School sits on top of a Hellmouth, a gateway to <laughs> demon realms. The Hellmouth is located beneath the school library. It's a source of mystical energy and a nexus for a variety of evil creatures and supernatural phenomena. It's a it's a great plot device. And, and Whedon also cited the Hellmouth 
as kind of the focal point of like a high school is hell metaphor. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. The format of Buffy is it's kind of a like a monster of the week format. Mm-hmm. It's a, each episode has like a self-contained story, but then contributes to a larger storyline. There are these season long narratives with kind of the rise and defeat of a powerful antagonist often referred to as the big bad. The early seasons, especially the first season, put much more emphasis on the kind of creature of the week side of things. And then the later seasons, the creature of the week is, you know, or like monster of the week is like a little bit less emphasized and the long arc of the season becomes more important. The vampire slayer has mystical powers associated with her calling, physical strength and endurance and agility and accelerated healing and a limited degree of precognition, usually in the form of prophetic dreams. There's also this piece of the plot that slayers are overseen by watchers. So Buffy's watcher is Rupert Giles, who is referred to just as Giles. He's the school librarian but he's been like kind of posted there on assignment by the Watchers Council, whose job is to train and guide the Slayers. Buffy has her circle of loyal friends who um, I think over the course of like the first season become known as the Scooby Gang. It's like a reference to Scooby-Doo, right? Like the, the like crew of friends who helps her solve the mysteries. Initially just Willow Rosenberg, who's kind of a shy nerd archetype kind of character and then xander harris is like the comic relief everyman kind of guy but the scoobies expand as the as the you know as the seasons go on so i'll talk briefly about like each season and what its kind of big arc is and like major characters that kind of come into play in the different seasons. So season one is very focused on the high school is hell concept. Buffy Summers has just moved to Sunnydale with her mother Joyce after burning down her old school's gym, which ties in with the movie, but they kind of let that go pretty quickly and hopes to escape her slayer duties. But it's not to be. She befriends two schoolmates, Xander and Willow, and she meets a mysterious man, Angel, who at this point we don't know is a vampire. And Giles identifies herself himself and becomes becomes her watcher. And she, you know, she gets stuck slaying again instead of being just a normal high school girl. The big bad for this season is the master, an ancient and especially threatening vampire who was trapped in the Hellmouth underground. When he escapes, Buffy defeats him and saves Sunnydale. In the finale of this season, she has a near-death experience where her heart briefly stops, and that's going to be important in later seasons. One other thing to mention here is the kind of the hangout of the high schoolers is like a nightclub ish thing called the bronze where they like go to hear music. And like, I think they're drinking coffee. Like it doesn't look like a bar. It's filled with teenagers. I don't know. The whole plot device of the bronze made a lot more sense to me <laughs> before I started really thinking about it. I did some I did some like J archive searches of Buffy and like the bronze comes up as a a term. So that's worth knowing. In season two, vampire couple Spike and Drusilla come to town. That's that's the the detail that would have helped the contestants on that on that missed clue. There is also a new slayer, Kendra. Normally, there's only one Slayer at a time. But at the end of season one, Buffy's heart stopped, which like activated a new Slayer. So Kendra also arrives in Sunnydale. 
There's like kind of a mean girl character, Cordelia Chase, who we know from season one, who becomes involved with Xander and kind of joins the Scooby group. Her character has kind of a, you know, a, a development and, you know, share her, her mean girl persona shifts a little bit. Willa's character also shifts. She starts to get involved in witchcraft and identify that she, you know, has has powers of her own. And she becomes romantically involved with schoolmate Oz, played by Seth Green, who then it turns out is a werewolf. In this season, we find out that an angel is a vampire who has a soul, which he received via a curse. The the slur gypsy is thrown around a lot it was it was not mm-hmm. right then but it was all we were also we're not as aware of it at that time so he he's under this curse where he's been given a soul so that he can you know live with the the guilt and misery of you know of like what he's done but if he ever experiences a moment of true happiness happiness his soul will be lost again he and buffy get romantically involved Mm. and he has a moment of true happiness oh no in bed which turns him into the big bad of season two oh no yes he loses his soul and becomes an evil vampire again um yeah hey when Uh, that happens yes so it's it's angel and spike and drusilla but angel's the real big bad of the season kendra dies in kind of the showdown between the good guys and the bad guys. And then there's this very, very tragic, heartbreaking end of the season. Angel's soul is restored, but it's too late. He is cast into a hell dimension because of reasons. In season three, the big bad is the mayor during the show's second season. I mean, every single week, right? Like people are like dying, like turning into creatures. (laughs) And like, you know, it's, it's hard it's hard to imagine in a small town, right? It keeps getting written off. During the show's second season, it becomes apparent that the local authorities are aware and are either ignoring it or are complicit in some way. And so in the third season, we find out that the mayor is behind this conspiracy to hide and worsen the supernatural phenomena in Sunnydale mm. as part of his century-long plot to like attain immortality and take over the world. Kendra has died, so another new Slayer is is activated. This is the Slayer Faith, played by Eliza Dushku, and the season finale takes place during the high school graduation ceremony. Very symbolic. That's where the mayor was planning to, you know, do his final, like, evil ceremony and assume his, like, demonic form or whatever sure yeah. Um, yeah but they defeat him and at the end of the season angel and cordelia oh angel angel is retrieved from the hell dimension at some point during the oh, season good. yeah yeah he comes back because he's gotta he's gotta go into a spinoff right um, right exactly so- <laughs> he needs to be around for, for yes. angel yeah yeah so so he's back in season three and then at the end of this season he leaves to go to la to star in his spinoff series angel I mean, that's not what he says, but like, that's, that's, that's what, ha- what's happening. Angel is becoming a spinoff. Cordelia also heads to LA. In season four, Buffy is in college. She and Willow, Willow, Willow is a genius, but you know, both of them are going to UC Sunnydale because it helps with the continuity. Yeah. Right. Where it turns out that there's a top secret military organization headquartered called the Initiative. And oh. it turns, yes. And Buffy's new boyfriend, Riley Finn 
it turns out is very involved in that top secret military organization headquartered at UC Sunnydale. And surprise, they are not the unambiguously good guys they initially appear to be. (gasps) I know. Yeah. So they've created an experimental monster they call Adam, you know, like as in like Adam and Mm -hmm. Eve, who they claim is supposed to, you know, help to like defeat demons and monsters and things because he's made partly of human parts and partly of monster parts. What could go wrong? Uh, Yeah, no, nothing. So Adam's the big bad of the season. Meanwhile, Oz is dealing with like being a werewolf. He and Willow end up breaking up. Willow falls in love with Tara McClay, who is another witch. Mm. Um, And so there's this whole like, this is where the Willow lesbian plot line starts. And Spike, who we haven't seen since season two, comes back. But the, the initiative implants him with a microchip which prevents him from harming humans. And mm. so he is in a detente with with the Scooby gang. He's still evil, but he cannot act on it. So sometimes, sometimes he's an ally. Season five, we have this moment that really struck peop- a lot of people as weird. And then it was explained over the course of the ensuing episodes. In the first episode, Buffy's younger sister Dawn suddenly appears in Buffy's life. And... You know, the audience reaction was, and to this day is, that's very unrealistic that she would all of a sudden have a younger sister when we didn't see the younger sister in any of the previous four seasons. Um, Mm -hmm. She, of course, is there as part of a supernatural phenomenon kind of thing. It's very complicated and convoluted. And I'd have to give like a lot of spoilers. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's planning to watch Buffy, but she's been she's been magically introduced into the family. She is a she is one of the she's one of the good guys, though. Okay. Yeah. And the big bad this season is like a god exiled from a hell dimension named Glory. And okay. the the sure. the appearance of this new little sister Dawn character has to do with that. While this season was being produced, Whedon and the rest of the team knew that it was not being renewed on the WB and wrote the end of ending of the season so that it could be the end of the series if the series ended there. And so in the end of this, in the end of this season, Buffy kind of sacrifices herself to defeat glory, but she sacrifices herself maybe in an ambiguous way uh, to save the world. But that wasn't the end of the series. Buffy got picked up by UPN. So it turned out that the ambiguous sacrifice goes the other way. At the beginning of season six, Buffy is dead. She is buried. There is a gravestone that says she saved the world a lot. But Buffy's friends resurrect her through a powerful spell, believing they've rescued her from a hell dimension where she was trapped. Several episodes later, we find out that she was in heaven and is devastated to be pulled back to Earth from her, I don't know, heavenly rest. Um, Yep. The big bad of season six is Willow Rosenberg. (sighs) Um, I know. So there's like this addiction plot line where she becomes addicted to magic and witchcraft which creates tension with Tara. And then there's this plot point where Tara, this is a big spoiler, Tara dies in an accident, which triggers a crisis for Willow, and she turns evil, turns to dark magic. But in the end, they're able to bring her back to the good side. Season seven, Partway through creating season seven, Sarah Michelle Geller said it was going to be her last season. So this is this is they wrote this to be the end. Deals with 
potential slayers. So seemingly normal girls from around the world who are candidates to succeed the slayer when the slayer dies. So the the biggest bad of this season is like a concept, <laughs> an, an entity called the first evil. It's like this spiritual, you know, force or whatever. But but the big bad that you can see, who is consistently played by the same actor, is an evil preacher named Caleb, portrayed by Nathan Fillion, who goes, who is like he creates like a cult and he's going around hunting potential slayers. It gets a little complicated, but there is a final battle where else but Sunnydale High School, where the Hellmouth is destroyed and closed forever and the slayer powers of every potential slayer around the world are activated which brings a resolution to this kind of series long theme of buffy's struggle with the loneliness and the weight of being the world's only slayer Hmm. yeah so that's that's the that's kind of the big picture arc of buffy there are a ton of smaller plot lines and themes that i haven't gotten into here because it would just we'd get really super bogged down but sure i'm not trying to sell buffy i'm not trying to do analysis i'm trying to you know give an overview of the plot so that next time you hear one of these kind of big kind of plots of buffy described in a trivia question should that ever happen you know you reckon you can maybe recognize it so the buffy canon continued outside the television medium in the dark horse comics series which was very much a continuation of the TV series, they called the first like arc of the comics Buffy Season Eight, written by Joss Whedon. There are other Buffy comics as well, from originally all from Dark Horse. Some were kind of published in parallel with the TV series, like concurrently. And then after the TV series concluded, there was like kind of this the Buffy comics that continued the series. There were others that were kind of set in the Buffy verse, but elsewhere in the timeline or with other characters. And then following the end of Dark Horse's Buffy series, Boom Studios acquired the license to publish Buffy comics and started publishing a rebooted Buffy series in 2019 with many elements updated to be more contemporary. Other kind of Buffy-related media, I mentioned Angel, the spinoff show, which obviously focuses on Angel after he departs Sunnydale for Los Angeles and Cordelia follows and becomes a regular. And then other cast members from Buffy appeared regularly and some left Buffy to be on Angel. It ran for five seasons. It was darker and grittier than Buffy. There are, there are three Buffy episodes that have unusual formats. And so I'm going to highlight them both because they're cool episodes and also because they're like potential trivia fodder. Uh, mm-hmm. So in season four, there's an episode called Hush. Joss Whedon had gotten a lot of comments from critics that the best part of the show and the thing that made it really work was the dialogue. And I guess that pissed him off because he set out to write an episode that had as little dialogue as possible. The monster of the week is a group of ghouls who, who begin the episode by stealing the voices of everyone in town. So no one can speak. It's reported on the news as like an epidemic of like mass laryngitis. And so Buffy and her friends have to communicate with one another silently throughout most of this episode. It was nominated for an Emmy for outstanding writing for a drama series. Yeah, it was the only episode in the series to be nominated for an Emmy. In season five, there's an episode called The Body. This one doesn't really have a monster. It focuses on the death of Buffy's mother, Joyce, who dies of a brain aneurysm, drawing on Whedon's experience. His mother died in in a very similar way. 
Joss Whedon had long stated his intention intention never to have a very special episode where the whole thing is focused on, you know, some, you know, weighty social issue with a life affirming yeah. message for everyone to to take away. He really did not want to do that here. And so his focus in this one was to capture the isolation and boredom involved in the minutes and hours after finding a loved one has died. What he termed the black ashes in your mouth numbness of death. And something really unusual in this episode is the sound. There is no non-diegetic music in mm. this episode, right? No, no diegetic music is music that takes place like kind of within the context of like the world, right? Like when music is on at the club, somebody's playing the piano, like whatever, right? Like the Mm -hmm. characters can hear it. I'm sure you know this, Kyle. Um, Mm -hmm. That's diegetic music. Non-diegetic music is, you know, the music that we, the viewers can hear, but it's not happening in the, you know, in the world of the show, right? So there's no non-diegetic music. It's Whedon's way of kind of denying the audience any comfort or like, giving it meaning for us as the viewers. And this episode has appeared on several lists of the best television episodes of all time. And the third one that I want to highlight is Once More with Feeling. It was an episode from season six. It is a musical episode. Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this one. Uh, It uses the plot device that a demon is, has arrived in Sunnydale and that his thing is that his presence compels people to break into song at random moments to express hidden truths and that the hidden truths they express will then, you know, create conflict and drama amongst them. All of the regular cast performed their own vocals for Once More with Feeling, although two actors, Michelle Trachtenberg and Allison Hannigan were given minimal singing at their request. Uh, Michelle Trachtenberg also was trained as she has like ballet training. And so she, she had a ballet solo. Hmm. in in this in this episode and once more with feeling received widespread critical acclaim from media and critics when it aired and is often remembered as one of the best or certainly one of the you know an especially memorable one there used to be sing-alongs like screening sing-along screenings but there was some kind of financial dispute about the licensing and so it doesn't get licensed for that kind of thing anymore Hmm. which is you know too bad shame yeah there have been five official Buffy video games released. I think the most notable one is on Xbox. An exploration of a TV reboot was kind of in conversations in 2017, 2018, but seems to have fizzled. There were a bunch of proposed spinoffs that didn't come to fruition. There was going to be an animated series. They were talking about doing one about Giles's backstory called Ripper, which was his nickname. We find out partway through the series. Eliza Dushku declined kind of spin-off follow-up series. There was talk about making a movie about Spike that didn't happen. I should mention, I think we mentioned when we talked about the clue, that Joss Whedon is problematic, it turns out. In yeah. 20 yeah, in 2020 allegations of workplace harassment came to light. Actors who had worked with him on other projects spoke out first. And then Charisma Carpenter was the first cast member from Buffy to add her voice and share her story. Several of her Buffy co-stars corroborated and some added their own stories. Michelle Trachtenberg, who was underage when she was starring on Buffy as Dawn, stated that there was a rule that Whedon was not allowed to be alone with her on set. Um, Yeah. So, ugh. 
Buffy's notable for attracting the interest of scholars of popular culture, led to the publication of around 20 books and hundreds of articles examining the themes of the show from a wide range of disciplinary perspectives, sociology, speech communication, psychology, philosophy, women's studies. In 2012, there was a slate study of pop culture works being studied by academics. And at that time, Buffy topped the list with like two, 200 papers, essays, and books. Probably there are others at this point that beat out Buffy. But for a while, it was kind of, you know, a, an especially popular topic for academic analysis of, of pop culture media. Super intense fan base. I don't know what to, what else to say about that. But you know, it's true. It initially aired on Mondays at 9pm. It moved to Tuesdays at 8pm, which the show sometimes acknowledges with characters saying things like Dawn's in trouble, it must be Tuesday. A couple other things of note. The show in 2003 showed Willow and Tara in bed together. Not a sex scene, but still was considered the first scene of its kind for a broadcast network series. It was nominated for Emmy and Golden Globe Awards. The Emmys that it were was nominated for were not like leading categories. And I don't think it was for individual episodes. So it's only kind of leading category nomination was the one that I mentioned for Hush. And it appears on a bunch of new lists of best TV shows of all time, including ones from Rolling Stone, Time Magazine and TV Guide. So that's Buffy. Some some key terms to like file away for, you know, if it comes up in trivia, you can you can know that you're that it's Buffy, Sunnydale, the Scoobies, Watchers, the episodes Hush, Once More with Feeling in the Body, the WB to UPN move maybe could come up. The Bronze I've seen come up weirdly, the term Hellmouth. And then we've talked about the characters and actors and mm. Joss Whedon and Marty Noxon are names to know as well. So that's mm. Buffy. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, now I sort of want to go rewatch some episodes because I haven't in like years. But are you ready for a quiz? I guess so. All right. There's no theme on this one. I'm I'm taking some like various things about Buffy as jumping off points. I don't think I'm asking any questions that are about Buffy per se. Sure. Although a couple of these, like if you don't know the, you know, history or science or whatever fact, but you know, the episode of Buffy, you could get it that way, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I expect you'll get them by knowing the content. Question one. Joss Whedon described the premise of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a combination of two other shows. One was a nine or ten season sci-fi drama starring David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. The other was a 1994 to 1995 one season teen drama starring Claire Danes. And I will give you five points for each of those two shows. <laughs> okay, well, The X-Files. Mm-hmm. Oof. Teen drama starring Claire Danes. I don't know my 90s teen dramas. Mm. And I don't remember which ones, uh, you know. So I, I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and pass because I don't okay. think I'm going to get there. All right. Well, you've got five points anyway. It's my so-called life. Okay, yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to get that one. Yeah. So my so-called life had kind of a sympathetic kind of. I, I haven't watched my so-called life, but, you know, kind of a nuanced portrayal of the challenges of being a teenager. And that meets the X-Files Monster of the Week format was kind of the, the thinking there. So you're at five points. 
Question two. The character Oz plays guitar in a rock band, the name of which is a reference to the gruesome 1980 death of nine-week-old Azaria Chamberlain at Uluru in Australia. The sad story is dramatized in the 1988 film Evil Angels with Meryl Streep in the starring role. Complete the name of Oz's fictional band, Blank Ate My Baby. I mean, I I would guess that it's a dingo ate my baby. Yeah, the band is called Dingoes Ate My Baby, but dingoes. I'm not going to get fussy okay. about singular versus plural. Yeah, so I'm really sad story. This this family was, you know, camping, and the the child was you know died in that way. But the authorities rejected the parents' claims about the infant's death. They thought it was you know suspicious and fantastical. The mother was charged with murder and the dad as an accessory. Yes. Yeah, they were they were exonerated years later. Yeah, it, not really not the most sensitive band name. No, although. I'm not sure if it's Joss Whedon being insensitive or if it's Joss Whedon portraying insensitive high schoolers or, I mean, also people are dying on the show all the time, but still like that was a real life child. Yeah. Um, not to get preachy. It's my job to get preachy though. You are a preacher. That's fair. I am. All right. You're at 15 points. Question three. We learn in an offhanded quip that Spike is a fan of what Premier League football club? Ooh. It's surprising that he supports them since he's from London. Maybe it's because he likes the nickname the Red Devils. Oh, the Red Devils. That, I believe, is Manchester United. It is Manchester United. Okay. Oof. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't really I don't really understand no know much about soccer but yeah apparently apparently spike is a fan of manchester united sure yeah all right hey 25 points question four in the fifth season episode beer bad buffy is a college student and we see her attending a psychology lecture and later in the episode applying the concepts that she is learning in psychology to the supernatural problem of the week the psychology lecturer is introducing three parts of the psychic apparatus from Sigmund Freud's model. These terms translate to the it, the I, and the over I. What are those three terms? The id, the ego, and the superego. That is correct. And nobody learns that in psychology anymore, really. Why not? It's yeah. totally true. I mean, I kind of did but i wasn't taking like psychology psychology i was taking this i was taking some weird seminary thing um apparently if you're reading freud in german these are just they just he just uses the german das s das ich and das überich um, and we just gave them extra and names we, de we decided to give them latin names for reasons i don't totally understand interesting yeah all right, you're at 35 points. Question five. In the finale of season five, Buffy exhorts her friends before they set out for the climactic showdown. Hey, everybody knows their jobs. Remember, the ritual starts, we all die, and I'll kill anyone that comes near dawn. Spike quips, well, not exactly this, was it? Giles fills in the first few words of the work Spike is referencing. We few, we happy few. Name any of the following, because I understand this question's a little convoluted. The name for the specific excerpt 
that Spike is referencing, the title of the larger work from which that expert comes, or the next phrase after where Giles left off. I'll take any of those three things. Oh, man. Few, we happy few. I, the context I, of like a like right climactic final battle might help also. Right. I like I recognize it. I think I don't remember if it's we though. Like I'm trying to so I'm thinking I should I should fill in audio time. Mm. So charge of the light brigade is what comes to my mind and I'm not mm. sure that that's it. And I'm tr- like I I know that like Ugh. Like, I know I've heard this before. <sighs> I don't remember. I'll go with Charge of the Light Brigade. It's not a bad guess, but it's the St. Crispin's Day speech from Henry V. Henry V, yes. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We band of brothers. Uh, yes, where Henry V is encouraging his men who are vastly outnumbered on the eve of the Battle of Agincourt. Yeah, so Buffy's kind of grim and brief and not very poetic speech. It's not exactly the St. Crispin's Day speech, is it? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, hey, you're at 35 points. And the final category is nerdy things. Or nerdy people. (laughs) Nerdy people, I guess. Nerdy people. 35 points. I don't know. I don't feel... I haven't felt good about this. I'll do 25. Okay. For 60 points, season seven features numerous potential slayers. The actress who played Vi or Violet would go on to create and star in the comedy web series, The Guild, and found the online media company Geek and Sundry. She also would collaborate with Whedon again for Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Who is this actress and darling of internet nerd culture? That is Felicia Day, I believe. It sure is Felicia Day. You probably know more about Felicia Day than I do because she seems to be very involved in like like gaming media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've watched, watched a good amount of her stuff on yeah. geek and sundry and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. She has a, she has a fun TikTok also, although it's more focused on kind of her like day to day, like family life stuff, but yeah, she has a, a young daughter that has for yeah. some reason taken up a lot of her time. Yeah. <laughs> Don't understand why, but it's so, I mean, it's so funny to like be watching a mom TikTok and be like, haha, relatable. And then be like, Oh wait, <laughs> like, you know, that's Felicia day. <laughs> Yeah. So, hey, nice job. 60 points on the Buffy quiz. Thank you. And that was a, gosh, now I don't need to watch Buffy. Because now I know. (laughs) Now you know it. It is, frankly, I'm going to, I'm going to go read, watch some Buffy, but I suspect that it may not be aging all that well, but it does just keep, it does just keep coming up in trivia. So, you know, now you know Mm -hmm. the terms and the, you know, some of the, some of the stuff. And hopefully our listeners do too. Thanks listeners for spending your time with us and for humoring me while I talked about Buffy. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating or review. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potent potables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.